You are listening to the sassiest podcast in the world. Born in the Nordics, democratizing B2B SaaS knowledge everywhere. Hi, I'm Daniel. And I'm Thomas. And we are experienced SaaS professionals that are curious about how other successful SaaS companies go to market, scale, build winning teams and great products. Join us on our journey as we speak to SaaS leaders trying to get hold of their secret sauce. And today's guest is medic expert, Jacob Topmuller. Series A to Series B, where you are starting to really professionalize whatever you are doing, it really makes sense to start looking at how you attack your customers' problems rather than pushing your product. Welcome back to the Sassiest Podcast. We hope that you have a great day and we hope it will be even greater when you have listened to this episode today. And Daniel, you have been a sales leader for many years and this one is for you. Uh, are you saying that because I have all this gray hair or? <laughs> no, uh, this, this one is for any, anybody and everyone on the revenue side. I think one of the hardest things in, uh, in sales is of course, selling to the right type of companies and to the right people. And there's so many different methods as to how to figure this out. And today we're gonna dig into one of the more popular ones, one that's been on, on everybody's mind over the last few years here called Medic. So that's gonna be interesting. Yeah, but before we do that, we also want to remind you of that we have an upcoming event in Amsterdam. So we have Sassiest Amsterdam, uh, that uh, is a full day event with a lot of great B2B SaaS speakers, everything from international thought leaders like April Dunford and Aaron Ross to a lot of um, local Benelux speakers, both CEOs and leaders in sales, marketing, product, customer success and people. We also bring some Nordic speakers there. So hope you will join us for a full day. We start in the morning and we end after midnight. So uh, check out sassiestamsterdam.com and uh, we'll meet you there. But now let's go on with this day's interview. Today, we are really excited to have Jakob Topmuller, uh, the CEO and founder at Topmuller Venture and Consult. So uh, welcome, Jacob. Thank you very much. I'm very much looking forward to this. Uh, thank you, Thomas. Likewise, we're really excited to have you here, Jacob. And just give us the quick backstory. If there's somebody here listening into this and they don't know you from the past, yeah. who are you? What's your backstory? No, I have a backstory. Originally, way back when, nearly 20 years ago, I graduated as an IT engineer. So I've always been in the IT industry, started off from a big tech perspective working for Cisco, been in the Cisco partner ecosystem for multiple years, where I sort of like slowly moved from the guy who got his hands dirty and, and, and doing all the technical stuff to becoming more the sales engineer and the pre-sales kind of guy to always or almost looking completely at the business side of things. So moving into business architecture. So that was really the vantage point to the point where I think I would basically say that that was the point where my career actually started. And that was eight years ago, where I joined a Boston-based startup called Fuse. And then we're going to talk about Medic today, but that was essentially where I learned about Medic, where you had a lot of strong people in the sales team who had a different way of going to market than what than I was used to in my previous life. And I... I learned a lot and it shaped me. And then I took on, I would say, more the role of the sales engineer than the product specialist and, and started working for a Swiss-based startup called Nextfink uh, before the last three years uh, where I took on uh, 
uh, sort of the role of, of global sales engineering, um, but also really building out medic and the entire um, value uh, conversation in a Danish uh, scale up called Deepwork. Mm -hmm. And this has sort of led me to the point where I've sort of stepped out of that role and now I'm essentially an independent consultant uh, who are going to do this journey that I did for Leapwork um, for multiple other companies. So that's really like the very, very uh, short answer to a, a, a 20-year-long uh, career, essentially. Yeah. All right, cool. So, so now when, when you have your own consultancy, what, what uh, kind of customers are you looking for and what can you help them with? Yeah, no, so, so essentially, if I look back at what I did at Leapwork, Leap, when I joined Leapwork, we were around like the 40, 50 people. Uh, and, and when I came in, there was only a, an inbound way of selling, essentially. You, you had built a, a great marketing machine. You built a great way of, of, uh, of attacking, I would say, the, uh, the tactical sales so you can get transactions. But you had zero idea about like what problems exactly do I solve for my customers and what business value do I represent by solving these problems with my product. So companies who are at that stage where you're about to build up a sales organization, you're in that phase between, I would say, series A to series B, where, where you are starting to really professionalize whatever you are doing. It really makes sense to start looking at how you attack your customer's problems rather than pushing your product. Right. And I also believe that you can even go further and, 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 and start it and build it in as nearly like the DNA of how you approach the market even earlier in, in sort of like the scaling journey. Yeah. But that's typically where I, I, I see like the majority of the, the customers that I'm working with uh, that they are. Yeah. Isn't it scary to start your own business? It's very, very scary. Uh, but but I've been fortunate. So I've I've, I've been busy since the day one. So uh, I'm 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 very happy with how it's going so far. Very good. And congratulations to you. And it's very exciting to talk about this concept and you know putting the customer forward. And you know when we when we chatted here a little bit, you threw something at us that I thought was was really interesting. You said that. You know, I'm looking here uh, to find a way to reverse engineer a purchase decision. Yeah. What does that mean? It essentially means that the term medic, and, and, and I'm just going to, uh, medic is a qualification framework. And it's a qualification framework that a lot of software as a service businesses are using because it's very well uh, versed for, I would say, complex decision processes that can take a long time to basically finalize. Um, and I think a lot of people are looking at medic like a like religion or they look at it like something which you just have to do and, and then it's, it's just another sales process or whatever you can throw at it. Uh, like the typical thing is that you have some kind of sales coach who does a sales training and you forget all about it and go on with whatever you're doing. <laughs> never see that. I've never, I've never seen that. <laughs> <laughs> I'm an engineer at heart and I sort of like got into sales or sort of like through, through the back door. And the way I look at it is through an engineering mindset. And when I look at medic, I see that the elements of medic are basically represented every single time the customer takes a decision. All of 
the aspects that you would normally qualify for in medic happens regardless if you know it or not. And if you then make it your job to know it, uh, a couple of things will happen. First and foremost, you can accelerate the process because you are then all with a sudden aware of the things that can potentially delay you. And even better, you start playing a game where it's all about throwing away the stuff that wastes your time. When you are in the business of SaaS, it's very, very likely that you are on a growth journey and, and you go through the different stages of funding uh, to ultimately hit that uh, end goal of some kind of exit. And when you are in that phase, your biggest enemy is time and time wasted. Time wasted on an opportunity that you could have matured uh, or, or that you could have thrown away and started like focusing on something that will otherwise mature into a, a deal. That would be a big upside to start like really shifting your focus towards that. Yeah. So I have a question here that I need to ask you. So medic, does the letter stand for something? I know bant, it's like body at authority need timing. So is there any smart uh, things around the name? Yeah, uh, it's it's one of these acronyms where you, it, it's it's called medic for you to remember it. So there's like- It sounds like a doctor that, you know, yeah, exactly. I don't know, tried to fix no, sales. But, but, but they're, just, they're, they're part of these acronyms. It doesn't make any sense, which is the reason why you will then remember them. That's why you need a consultant that can explain the abbreviation, right? <laughs> but, but, but in all essence, and the reason why I'm talking about this being a reverse engineering of a decision process, whenever you have a decision being made out there, there's always a bag of money that needs to change hands between you as a vendor and the customer, right? At the customer's end, there's always a person who has essentially authority to create budget. And this is where I think Medic stands out tremendously to something like Band. Because Band, you look for budget, but with Medic, you're looking to create a case where you create urgency because of that case so that somebody at the customer side, who we call an economic buyer, um, and that's the E in Medic, by the way, can actually say, that looks like a great idea. I will make sure to allocate money. Okay, so now we have one letter, like uh, economic buyer. So give, give us all of them. Yeah, so I'm going to give you all of them. But, but that person makes a decision based on a, a clear-cut case that shows that here's a before situation where we are right now. Here is where we can be taken into the future. It has these negative business consequences, and I will game these positive business outcomes. If the delta between those two is like significantly big, I can go in and I can create budget for this so we can purchase it and we can purchase it today and not wait until next year. So that was uh, the M and the E. Mm -hmm. um, the, uh, the, the metrics as well would also be for your technical stakeholders and, and, and the people you're dealing with where you are basically measuring clear before situations that, that your product affects and after situation. But I think it's very, very important to distinguish between the things that are you doing X amount of operations or capturing X amount of viruses per second or whatever like metric that is tied to a product. And you look at the metrics underneath it that says, what does this impact in terms of cost, revenue, or risk? And you try to quantify it 
So, so you need to look at, at, at metrics across the entire spectrum, if that makes sense. Yeah. Okay, so we're gonna uh, we're gonna dive deeper into some of these, but like, if if I'm not mistaken here, we have M for metrics, E for economic buyer. What are the two Ds, and then? So, so that's the decision criteria. Uh huh. Is the decision process? Okay, and the I and C. So the I is where it's really really fun because it's the identified business pain or the identified um, initiative, and 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 uh, you have a pain that you. <laughs> put an eye to but like it's de-identified i think i think the, this is where everything starts and we can dive into that at a later point but but the eye as i see it is the most important aspect of it yeah then you have a c which is the champion which i think is the second most important one uh, and you basically identify a champion by a person of of either power or influence or both essentially power and influence all right. And then we would add a last C, which I think is also important, which is the competition. Okay. All right. So is it two Cs in Medic? <laughs> so this is where you can have it with one C, you can have it with two Cs. A P. You can you can add a P in there. Yeah. So you can have MedPick. Yeah. It's an aspect of the decision process, which is the paper process. <laughs> so the last C is an upsell. I even see with a third C where you look for a compelling event. Oh, wow. Yeah. All right, it's a lot of things there, but uh, if we if we go into why is this so popular in in B two B SaaS to to work after this um, concept? Yeah, you you brought up band as an example. Yeah, and if you look at band, it's budget, authority, needs, and timing. It's really about you having a product, and it fits in right then and there because there's money to it, and the timing is right, and you're speaking with the right person, and it's solving their problem, but it's it's a it's your worldview that you're essentially uh, qualifying for. Where medic is really putting it out, and you start looking at the customer. So the way I look at medic, it's your internal language about the customer in an organization, and I think this is the key thing about something like medic and a couple of other things is that you, the moment you venture out on a journey and you want to really use it efficiently in an organization, you should make it your aim that you communicate about everything about around the customer in a very, very consistent manner. And you don't just do it from a sales perspective. You do it from a sales engineering perspective. You do it when you communicate with marketing, for product marketing, uh, the implementation team, customer success, and also even the product. Uh, this would be a way for product to qualify whether a specific feature actually belongs in the product. Very, very often decision criteria are brought in that are not qualified. And this is a tool for everybody to speak the same language here and to qualify every single aspect of what's going on with the customer. So I have a question for Daniel. Yeah. Have you worked with the medic in any of your previous positions? Uh, not to the full extent. I think we have taken some elements uh, of the concept into a process. And I think it, uh, and, and maybe Jacob has the answer to this. I think for us, the reason why we didn't use it, mm -hmm. we felt it was a little bit too stringent on the qualification. Yeah. Uh, because we come from the process that... Uh, 
maybe closer to Bant, I suppose. That's like, yeah. as a revenue organization, it is your job to find money that don't exist. Yeah. And if you qualify too hard, you might lose that opportunity a little bit. So uh, I, I cannot say that I have fully used it, no. I remember the term compelling event making its interest uh, enter the, the sort of discussion in yeah. the end of our journey at InRiver at least. So yeah. uh, recognize that. But Jacob, uh, please move on. Um, you mentioned how it was different from Bant, uh, but I guess there are gazillions of other sales methodologies out there. So can you say something about that? What other methodologies are there out there? And and I mean... Yeah, so, so there, there are multiple others. I... I worked with visualizers shortly at uh, when I was at at Next Think, and uh, what I saw was that it like it requires extremely strong leadership for any of these methodologies to be implemented. And what I what I really like about Medic, and I would say the surrounding frameworks that that can drive the right kind of conversations is that, that it's a very, very clear and concise way of communicating. Every single thing has clear definitions, and it's about you asking the tough questions about the opportunities that you're working with. Yep. Um, so, so, so that's the way I'm, I'm seeing it. Yep. So, <clears throat> I mean, coming back a little bit to what Thomas asked me, and we're not going to talk about me here, uh, although all the people that have worked with me know I was a fantastic revenue leader. <laughs> <laughs> now, all jokes aside, uh, from your perspective... Is there a preferred timing as to when you, you introduce the, the medic framework? Yeah. And if so, why is that? And when is that? Yeah. So I strongly believe that you can't do uh, like a cold turkey and just like go all in hardcore on this from day one. Because you are dealing with an organization that has to learn and has to adopt this as you practice it every single day. So what I'm seeing is that this is something that you will introduce and you will start speaking the language. You will have extreme patience with the people who are there. It might even show that there, like there's, there's people within your organizations that don't want to work with something where you constantly question whether you're doing the right thing. And then and, and that's, I think that's a very, very natural thing. So in my experience, and then what we like did at Leapway was that this was implemented over a period of time, because otherwise this will never become a success and you will get way too much resistance within your organization. Right. Yeah. But uh, at Leapwork, you, you were around 50 people. So if you are a three-people startup, uh, yeah. does it make sense then? It, it, it would make sense if you can uh, then start to include it. And I'm actually uh, helping out as an advisor at a company called Intercompany. And, and the founder, the, the reason why I started speaking with him was because he started talking about Medic. And he has made it a part of their DNA from the get-go. But... Now they need a little bit of help in terms of really identifying that business pain that gets the entire conversation going. There's a saying that if you find a big enough I, you'll find a strong enough C, so a big enough business pain, will find a strong enough champion to get you to the economic buyer. So, so really there's, there's aspects of this where if you don't understand that aspect, 
you will not go far with it. Okay, so if I understand you correctly, size doesn't matter. You can start with this when you're like, you know, from the get-go, a, a three-man or woman show, or a little bit later. What I want to ask you, does it matter what I'm selling? If it's, you know, uh, high ticket or low, low ticket, does that matter? Medic is greatly tied with the complexity of, of, of a deal. And I also think that there's an aspect of this being a bit more difficult when it comes to, let's say, heavily inbound driven sales. Be aware that these aspects, they're prevalent at the customer's side, regardless if you know it or not. But when you're talking about inbound, there's a velocity in terms and, and the speed in terms of you getting there first and you're very far down, let's say, a decision tree from a customer's perspective that qualifying too hard about aspects might be a thing that can uh, that can hinder you. So complexity needs to be uh, fairly big. And I specifically think this is uh, suitable for outbound sales. PR and communication are the keys to building awareness for your company. You want to make sure you reach the right people with the right message at the right time. My Newsdesk is a smart PR platform where you can manage all your communication efforts in one place. My Newsdesk makes it easier for companies of all sizes to create awareness and build relations with the people that matter the most to you. Don't make PR harder than it needs to be. Visit mynewsdesk.com to start your free trial. I, I got to ask you, Jacob, and, and this comes from a revenue leader, which might be a little bit strange, but sometimes revenue leaders in SaaS, they're so stuck with their internal process. You know, we go through these steps because it helps us with forecasting and so on, but they don't always take into consideration what the customers want. And we see more and more now that, you know, customers, they're busy people, they have a lot of things on their plate, and they quickly want to get to show me the product and give me the pricing, and then we'll take it from there. What is your take on that? Yeah, no. So as I mentioned um, earlier, when we're, we're looking at the aspect of a champion and, and we want to deal with potential champions uh, for, from our customer's perspective. And I really think really evaluating your, a champion who has power and influence and who represents the customer's business would be a great way to start this conversation where it's not going to be all about the product and the price. If you start focusing on the users of your product, you potentially end up with technical people who will be what we call coaches. In Medic, we always differ between a coach and a champion. And, and I, I always look at a, like a boxing ring. Right. And, and if you have the champion in there, like dealing the blows, taking the blows, you have the coach on the sideline uh, yelling to the champion and, uh, uh, and, and who want to give their opinion, but, but they don't want to like be in the, the middle of the mess. Yeah. So we deal with the people who get stuff done and we want to get as high up as possible. So we want to deal with that person who has enough power and influence to really make a decision. We want to get up uh, and aim for the sea level where we look at our product and we figure out how does a problem that our problem solves uh, actually uh, relate to the sea level at our customers. And the moment we really bring the conversation around 
the impact on the business, the conversation changes completely. You, you bring in a couple of other frameworks, and I'm specifically fond of what's called a value pyramid. So you want to create what's called a new business meeting where you have a potential champion in the room, and that might be somebody like, let's say, the CIO of a company. And you have done some research on the customer where you've and, and, and based it, uh, that re- or, or like paired that research together with discovery you've done with multiple stakeholders. And you come up with a clear, uh, basically, line between their corporate objective, figuring out what's their business strategies, what are the business initiatives underneath these strategies, what are the challenges that they have to basically go through with these initiatives, and what are the minimum required capabilities that will be needed for them to address the challenges, to go through with the initiatives, to fulfill the business strategies, and to basically fulfill the overall corporate objective. And the moment you can bring a conversation into whatever technical thing you're doing, it's enabling some capabilities that will help them bring their business forward. The conversation is a very, very different one than you showing up towards a technical stakeholder and you show a product and they might have a small budget within their like confines of the organization and they want to see if it fits into what they might have left or they might look at next year. Yep. So you want to go as high up as possible because the moment you go high, you will get delegated to the other stakeholders. And the budget conversation is something that will only arise the moment you have a clear-cut business case in the end. Yeah. To me, that sounds a little bit like maybe it is more suited for complex sales, yeah. a little bit higher ticket uh, platforms if you're selling something for 25 bucks a month maybe this doesn't make sense all the time yeah but if the problem it solves is a significant problem that is let's say worth a million dollars uh you need to potentially have a, a close look in the mirror and ask whether your pricing is the correct one yeah if you're selling something for 25 bucks solving a million dollar problem there's some issues exactly. there yeah but but really making that clear and really understanding the customer's problem in details and metricized will also bring you on a journey where you can basically sell at a higher and higher price with clear justification behind it. Yeah. I have another question then. So another trend we see, and it's been ongoing for a few years now, mm. is uh, the PLG motions are getting stronger. Everybody's talking about you know self-service giving more access to customers and so on so that maybe they can start their journey in the product rather early or interact with the product rather early what do you say to that does medic work for plg driven companies as well or is it best suited for classic outbound exercise uh that's a good question um i have not yet formed uh like a clear cut opinion about this because i think the moment you go the plg route you will always have a bit of touch points with the customer as well where you will carry this motion through and uh, i can just take like something like zoom as an example they do have a sales team and they like the moment you go up in complexity they this will become an enterprise sale so you might be able to start through the plg route but the moment you reach a level of complexity where it becomes more like the solution selling aspect, right. that's where you will 
essentially apply the motion of of uh, of something like medic as the qualification behind it. Gotcha. Makes sense. But it's very very interesting because could you add qualification aspects in your like in the customer journey? Because as I mentioned before, medic exists regardless if you know it or not. Right. And a decision on a product, even though you're not there as a sales team, still carries aspects of, of, of somebody needs to have the budget, it needs to solve a problem, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So you could be quite clever and try to think it into the customer journeys that you're driving through PLG. Yeah. Yeah. So if you want to implement medic in your organization what what should you think about when you set this up besides getting a consultant <laughs> i think this needs to be done at the same time that you really start focusing on uh, the business value that your product represents and when you look at the business value it's about you becoming extremely problem oriented you want to understand what does the problems look like from our customers and what are sort of like, I would say, three, four key areas that will drive the value for our customers. And you will start building up those narratives. Because if you have not done that, and if, if you don't understand clearly what business value you represent, you will have a big, big problem with the eye. Mm. And as I said before, a big enough eye finds a strong enough champion and if you have a strong enough champion, you will get to the economic buyer. Yeah. But if you don't have that, and I think I can come with a good, like a couple of good examples here, because when I was at Fuse, we sold uh, unified communications solutions as a service, and and essentially I came from the unified communication space where we would set up servers and you will have consultants going out, uh, setting up everything all over the world. You will have telco agreements in every single country. And all of a sudden there was a solution that could just rip off everything from, from the map of the customer and, and place a SaaS solution in, in its place. And you would think that's very, very compelling and you will listen to the customer and they will talk about all those different solutions that they have. And you can make a conclusion in your mind that, hey, this, uh, this is fitting perfectly. We will definitely solve a lot of problems. But it requires the customer to acknowledge those problems. Mm. It might be that they have pretty much zero maintenance on these platforms. They're completely okay with them just running. It might be that they're not interested in, let's say, uh, centralizing budgets that might otherwise be decentralized. There can be a lot of like different things that can be the reason why they're completely okay with whatever situation there is. Yeah. And us going down the motion thinking that a certain customer has a pain by us assuming it will essentially lead to us wasting our time. I also come up with an even more stupid example. <laughs> so I, and I, I talked to you about this when we had the introduction, but, but essentially... I'm selling automated lawnmowers. I'm speaking with you, uh, Daniel, as the dear customer, and, and you have like a push lawnmower. And me hearing that assumes you have a problem with that. And of course, you want the new advanced automated lawnmower. But if you like that daily exercise it gives and you don't mind doing it, it might even be like a small meditative task, like, and you don't have a problem with it. I'm not solving anything by going through a sales motion trying to 
basically sell you an automated lawnmower. Mm. So it all starts with a strong enough eye. So to be successful with Matic, you need to do a lot of groundwork to essentially solidify that eye. Yeah. And that's, I will think, I think that's an even bigger task than implementing Medic. All right. Because it changes everything about how you work as an organization. Yeah, and, and maybe you've already covered it here, but in your opinion, where do most sales team fails? What led, what letter is the biggest miss? I, I just mentioned that. Yeah, exactly. So I think, no, So but but there's, there's actually two aspects here. One is the eye that you assume pain on behalf of your customers because you hear the things that are in the right direction. Yeah. You need the customer to actually express that this is a problem for them for before you can actually conclude that that's a problem and you can begin the conversation with that. And I also think going at the level beneath the, I would say, the, um, the product metrics to the business consequence of their problem and the positive business outcome they can achieve on the other side, where you start really translating that identified pain to something that is either related to revenue, risk, or cost, then this becomes a lot more solid. The second aspect is, and this is this is one where you, the moment you start talking about medic, you have champions and, and you have the concept of the champion. There's a tendency that you call everything with, which has two legs and a pulse a champion. <laughs> and... You will see the BDR team saying, hey, I just spoke with the champion of XYZ customer. And then they expressed that. Where you, a, a person at a customer all of a sudden equates a champion. I think really having the, the skeptical mindset about anybody in an organization, use words like potential champion mm-hmm. and, and, and be very, very wary that, that you might actually be dealing with coaches. I think that's a big, big trap. And if you And you need to... Be quite diligent with the way that you're working with customers to to actually get to proper champions. Okay, so a proper champion, what do you say? What is that really? Yeah, so so I would look for, there's, there's a lot of different aspects, and I'm going to repeat again, power and influence. The ones who get stuff done within an organization, and they will sell on your behalf when you're not there, Let's say they have a meeting with 20 people in it. Everybody says, we want to do this. The champion is the one who stands up in front of them saying, hey, you're all making a wrong decision. I want to go with that. And who has uh, the cojones to do so, <laughs> uh, essentially. And it's, it's often the person who have bought before or has the ambitions to tie a successful project to their career trajectory. But I would look often at a person's LinkedIn page. And if you see, I think that this is, of course, not like a clear-cut answer, but what you often see is small forward motion steps throughout their entire career. If they've been at a company for eight years, they would have four or five different positions there because they have done something and they get responsibility as they grow throughout their career. So you would, essentially, you would look for somebody who can get promoted by a successful implementation of your product. Or it might even be that they will not get fired (laughs) by a 
successful implementation of your product. Everybody is motivated by either fear or greed. And it's for you to tie into uh, like their ultimate motivation here. All right. Cool. Really good uh, practical tips here. Yeah. Um, so if you would try to summarize, what are your top three tips for revenue leaders that are thinking about implementing Medic? Yeah. Have, have a strong, strong uh, emphasis on the I part of Medic. Really start with you not pushing your product and, and, and be focused about showing the world what your product can do, but start really identifying with the problem you're solving at the customers. You want to essentially get to a point where you make whatever you're selling mission critical to the customers. So, so that's number one. I can just come, uh, if it's okay, I can come with a practical example of, of when we were at LeapWork. Sure. LeapWork does test automation. And, and test automation is something that has occurred for the last like 30 or 40 years. And there's always somebody sitting in the basement who is very, very far away from anything that is called power and influence. You might even have test managers and they're very far away from that as well. So how do we make something as test automation uh, mission critical? We basically go through the exercise of the value pyramid. Every organization out there, they're right now running uh, let's say digital transformation initiatives as a part of their business strategies. You go through the annual report, you find the exact passages and the wordings around it, and you figure out what are the initiatives that they're doing. They might be moving to an agile way of developing. And by doing that, they want to release at a quick pace. All with a sudden, you throw in a manual process like testing. And you want to release twice a week and testing takes two to three weeks. So there's something here that doesn't add up where you sacrifice speed and the time to market. But what does organizations do that really treasure speed and time to market? They say, okay, these 10,000 test cases, I'm going to go with these 100. Right. So they sacrifice the quality. And then you start really digging into the business consequences of either the time to market or the risk on the other hand. And all with a sudden, test automation becomes mission critical for the companies we're dealing with. Just as next. All right. So one, identify the pain. Yeah. And number two would be? Be extremely diligent about the, the, the champion aspect. I, we talked about that. But I think, I think another aspect is to, to tie Medic into your uh, sales process. And this is a thing, is an important thing to understand. Medic is not a process. It's a framework. It's a checklist that you need to understand that you've got the right thing in place. If you can add aspects of medic as gates between different phases of your sales process, you will not end up with, pardon my French, but bullshit deals that sits at uh, a negotiate and close stage that should never be there because they would have either been qualified out earlier and, or you would have essentially the language to bring these uh, or identify the blind spots that you could have then have started addressing and then they could become more qualified and you can move on with them. But I think really tie it together with your sales process and make sure that they, uh, the right thing acts as gates as you move along with deals. Okay. Identify pain, be um, diligent when it comes to finding the champions. And now we are very curious, what's number three? 
Well, tie it together with your sales process. <laughs> okay, now we have all three of them. That's super. And uh, and Jakob, this was very informative. Yeah. I think we learned a lot. I think um, many now uh, are very anxious of maybe getting this started. Um, and uh, before we let you go, is there anyone that you would like us to get on the show or a topic that you think we should dive into? No, I think I think it it could be very interesting for you to speak with Christian Brink, uh, the CEO of of, of Leapwork. Okay. Um, and and I think what will be interesting is really about that scaling journey as you go through the motion. Uh, Leapwork in twenty one received a uh, sixty three million dollar Series B, and and you like like I think the aspects of where Leapwork are right now in terms of moving towards the US were guy like Christian has, is now in Boston. Mm-hmm. And there's a there's a very, very interesting dynamic that I think a lot of companies can learn from uh, when it comes to, to that. Definitely. We, we'd love to have Christian. Maybe you can introduce us. Awesome. So uh, with that, uh, thank you so much, Jacob, for being on the show. I uh, hope you get a great weekend and uh, see you around. See you around. Take care now. So Daniel, what's your takeaway from this episode? That's a great question, Thomas. It's like, you <laughs> okay, know, thank you. Can <laughs> I take my takeaway now? Sure, go ahead. You take your takeaway first. All right. So my takeaway is to make sure that you really find who's the champion. And, and I think we got some really good practical advice how you sort of can see who's taking steps in their career, who might be the ones that actually get shit done uh, in the organization. And uh, and so uh, it's easy to to think that you have the champion just because you're talking to someone that are interested in the topic, right? But uh, I think we got some really good advice there. Yeah, yeah, definitely. I, I think I will say a couple of things here now because uh, I think it's super important to have, like Jacob says, a structured framework that will guide you in identifying the right customers, the right people that will be able to move the deal forward, you know, so you position it at the right level, so you get, you know, paid at the right amount and so on. I think it's it's very important and Medic is a very powerful tool for that type of qualification process. I also want to emphasize here that, and maybe it's just me, but I feel that sometimes there is a gap what I'm hearing out there from revenue leaders. There's a gap between a sales process and a buying process. I'm a firm believer of whatever framework you use, you need to adjust it to the buying process. People buy software in a certain way. They don't care about your five steps in your internal uh, CRM that you need to go through. They care about the way they buy, not the way you sell. So I think that's an important aspect when this designing and deciding for a framework make sure that framework actually is tailored to match the buying process of your icp otherwise in my opinion you can have whatever framework you want it's not going to work out right so there i've said it good stuff good stuff and um, other good stuff is the uh, sassiest community and the network so if you're not already engaged because we're talking about engagement here uh, we have the sassiest slack community for everyone working operationally in b2b SaaS companies here in europe Uh, if you are a vp or higher in a b2b SaaS company 
uh, that has more than 2 million euros in ARR. You're welcome to join our executive network. We have nine different disciplines and it's actually free to join. And you get a lot of value out of that. Very popular with our members. And if you're a CEO, don't miss out on the largest uh, CEO network in Europe for B2B SaaS CEOs. We have uh, moderated uh, meetings each month with uh, concrete use cases uh, bring from the CEOs and with the, with the feedback from, from the other CEOs in the group. And then we have in-person meetings and you get access to exclusive thought leadership sessions and um, discounts on our events and so So don't miss that. Uh, we are taking submissions for uh, 2024 now. You can find all of this on sassiest.com, your go-to place for all things B2B SaaS. And with that, hope to see you again next week. Take care now.